the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time now for the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. Well, they call it a city of sun, fun, some education too, as there is a major California university located there. For Bay Areans, it's simply a getaway spot down south on the coast to Santa Cruz. And joining me now is the senior pastor of Regeneration Church located just slightly north of Santa Cruz in Scotts Valley. We're pleased to have with us Pastor Matt Valencia. Pastor Valencia, good to have you with us today. It is so good to be here with you, Craig. It's an amazing uh, journey that you have been on and a trajectory and some stops along the way to places that many of our listeners will undoubtedly recognize. You uh, effectively grew up in church at Calvary Chapel, West Covina, under our dear friend and broadcast partner, Raul Reese. And then um, later on, you made your way up to the San Francisco Bay Area and spent some time at Calvary here in San Jose, where uh, Don McClure was senior pastor. Of course, now his son is pastoring the church. So we want to kind of fill in the blanks on this journey for you and and how you you wound up exchanging your dress shoes for Birkenstocks (laughs) (laughs) and working in ministry down in in Santa Cruz, where the rumor is there's a lot of weird people. Right. We're we're well, here to today thing. to dispel a few rumors and confirm a few others. So with that, I want to have you kind of walk us back. As I mentioned, your foundational days in ministry was with Pastor Raul Reese down at um, Calvary Chapel, West Covina. How did all that come about? Yeah, when I, when I was a kid, um, the tail end of the Jesus movement, my brother and my sisters became Christians, uh, and it was a radical change uh, for them. Uh, my dad had moved out. Um, he actually kicked my brother out of the house when my brother was going to Calvary Chapel, West Covina, when it was just a Kung Fu studio and uh, probably not an older person than 30 years old in the whole congregation. They used to drag me along as uh, their little brother. But I'll tell you, when I entered in that place, I, I felt this sense of love that I had never experienced. So as a little kid, Rawl was teaching one Wednesday evening and uh, he had an altar call. I actually walked up there with no one prompting me, probably at age six or age seven, with my best friend, and um, started following Christ at that time. And uh, later on in high school, um, really wanted to develop my my walk more. I'd kind of fallen away because my brother and sisters moved out, and just really praying, God, if you're real, then show yourself to me. I was uh, a sophomore in high school that summer of my sophomore and junior year. And um, I thought, you know what, I'm going to go back to that church that I used to go to when I was a little kid. I went uh, to the youth group, met uh, Terry Webb. He was my youth pastor and got to know Rawl. My sister was Rawl's secretary um, and just started following Jesus at that point in time and didn't know if I would go into full-time ministry even in high school. Um, I went to Azusa Pacific where I met my wife and uh, we got married right after college. And, and so I, I actually taught in the public high school, uh, South Hills High School down in West Covina for seven years. And I thought, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to coach football and track and field and teach English. And the Lord just kept calling me. I I actually got the chance to teach the Bible as literature, Craig, in a a public high school. And just amazing. The students would ask questions. They were really curious. And I would teach it, obviously, different than a Sunday morning. And I felt like that's such a great ministry. But then God really started calling me. So I went to pastoral school and uh, just started growing in different ministries at Calvary Chapel, Golden Springs. Now that we moved to Diamond Bar. In fact, my when my wife and I got married, we were the last wedding at Calvary Chapel, West Covina, before we moved to Diamond Bar. So on a Wednesday evening, again, there was this one night where Raul said, hey, would you, if, if you want to stay and pray, I just feel led to pray. We're, we're just going to spend some time in prayer. If you need to leave, go ahead and leave. So I told my wife, Deanna, why don't you go home? You know, I feel like God's telling me to stay. He has something for me. That night, Rawl had shared something, and he said he just got back from a surfing trip here in Santa Cruz and started to share about the Bay Area. And he just started to weep, and he just said, there's so many young people that are lost, so many young people that are just on the streets and 
drugs. And as we started to pray, God just started to move my heart to move. So at that point in time, we started making plans to uh, go spy out the land. And uh, he said, why don't you go talk to Don McClure? And so I drove up. I had never, uh, I had met Don a couple of times, but I, this is, this is before smartphones. So I didn't even know where San Jose was. I, I just drove, I had a, a physical map, drove up to San Jose, started driving around the city. And I see this cross on Almaden Expressway in Hillsdale. And I go that, I see the sign, Calvary Chapel. And I go on a Saturday morning and Don was there. He was the only car in the parking lot. I, I had no appointment. I was just going to pray. And he was walking out and he said, Hey, uh, I said, Don, I said, do you have a couple of minutes? He goes, yeah, come on in. And started to pray. And at that point in time, he said, why don't you pray about coming up here? And that's how I ended up in San Jose. So that was very, uh, an organic move in that sense, really just following the, the still small voice of the Holy Spirit uh, to make your way to the San Francisco Bay Area. How long did you spend there as part of Calvary Chapel, San Jose? Uh, I was there for three years. Um, during that time, Towards the end of my time there, uh, Don asked if I would start a Christian school. So I started a K through eighth grade school. I had both pastoral experience, um, understood the ministry of Calvary Chapel, but also educational experience. And they had been praying for that for about seven years before I got there. Started the school, but then I just felt like God called me up here to plant a church. Again, it was Santa Cruz where my heart was. Uh, and my friend Dave Johnston, who was uh, the youth pastor in San Jose, he, he had gone over to Santa Cruz to start Calvary Chapel, Santa Cruz. So I said, Lord, what do you have for me? And so he directed me to Gilroy. And uh, my wife and I moved to Gilroy eventually, but we had planted a church there and was there for 12 years. Um, and towards the end of that time, uh, Dave, because of health reasons and, and other uh, reasons, had moved back to Southern California. And Bill Holdridge was pastoring the church here in uh, Cal called Calvary Chapel, Santa Cruz at the time. And um Bill said, you know, I thought I was going to be here long term, but as I'm praying about it, I, I, I know that God has a different ministry for me. He called me up and said, hey, Matt, would you consider praying uh, about coming over and pastoring the church here? And um, our, our youth pastor was really growing in his ministry. We were praying about him going out to plant, maybe in, even in Morgan Hill or somewhere in the vicinity. But it was really clear that I was training him up to take over for me, and I was going to move over to Calvary Chapel, Santa Cruz. So that's and you know what's fascinating about this place. is your your trajectory has gone through um, very different types of people groups in terms of the the ministry focus from that of Southern California to making your way to the Bay Area and the heart of Silicon Valley, and then of course in Gilroy where you've got a very large migrant farm worker population, um, very transient in that sense, and a major Latino community that's largely involved in everything from uh, you know, agriculture to farm work, things of that sort. And, and so for you then, it managed that you, you'd had to be kind of agile on your feet in that the needs of the people, the hurts that people are feeling are, are very different amongst all those. Yeah, um, for whatever reason, I feel like God has given me a uh, kind of a missions gift, even though I'm still here stateside. Um, you know, when Paul wrote, you know, I've become all things to all people that I might save some of, of just learning how to relate to people in different situations, you know, from public school, e even in the educational aspect to private Christian school. Um, and then my tent making job, I was bivocational when we started the church in Gilroy, I was the principal of uh, Advent school, which is a drug and alcohol rehab school for students that were incarcerated. And I, I think that God just loves people, Craig. I, I think um, there's some people that are called to a certain niche or a certain people group, but um, I, I just am drawn towards people. And wherever God plants me, those happen to be the people that God draws my heart towards. And um, it's, it's been awesome to see that. For folks that are new to the San Francisco Bay Area, or perhaps are uh, are Santa Cruz bound, maybe they've got uh, they've got some uh, college in mind, or maybe just going to hit the surf at some point here. Talk to us a bit about what God is doing at Regeneration Church of Scotts Valley. I think we're part of something that is even bigger than than us. And then I'll share something that happened in 2020 that led us in a, a particular direction. Um, you know, I'm a part of a, a an affiliation of churches called Calvary Chapel, so. 
Northern California, Northern Nevada. We just had our conference over at Mount Hermon and to see God doing this work there. And then in the Bay area with TBC and the Santa Cruz pastors, I think what we're seeing is the need for the body of Christ to come together. So at Regeneration Church, we're not only doing Explore God on Sundays right now, we're we're taking a break from the book of John. We'll get back into expository going through books of the Bible as soon as this series is over. But it, it really is relationships, Craig. It's inviting people in, into homes. It's after the service saying, hey, we're going to have a question and answer time, where if you have questions, you could ask them and you could text them anonymously if you don't want to raise your hand in, in front of people. And then it's showing hospitality. And as that happens, um, in 2020, everything went digital for a couple of weeks. So you remember that it was uh, two weeks to flatten the curve. Right as that happened, every church had to pivot. Everyone had to change what they were doing in ministry. And, And I started to see weaknesses in the church, our church, but also other churches, if we, if people in our, our congregations don't have other people's cell phone numbers, if they don't have a relationship, then all of a sudden when things are shut down and things are digitized, I was teaching through the book of Galatians. And let me read this scripture out of the New Living Translation. In this version, it says, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully formed in your lives. That's that's the goal for us as pastors. So the Regeneration Church, we, we, we want Jesus to be lifted up. We want people to be regenerated, born again, following Christ um, much more than they know about our church. We want them to know him. But the way that we get to know him more and more is through the community of the body of Christ. And that's why Paul goes on to say, I wish I were with you right now so I could change my tone. But at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. And man, when I read that, I realized that's what I felt like as a pastor during 2020 when things were digital. I, I want to help. I don't even know who's watching. And it's not interactive. It's one way. And what is important is that we have those options at times, but it never replaces the person-to-person interaction that even, even medically and psychologically happens when we're in the presence of someone else. And then as, as followers of Jesus, the Spirit of God is just sensed. Not as much, you know, from a screen, I get knowledge. From a screen, I get a lot of information. Um, and the Holy Spirit can work in my life that way as well. But when I'm around people, I grow in relationship with people. And, and God's built us for that. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build a faithful community of disciples who follow Jesus, responding to the gospel, and then intervening in our world on Christ's behalf. Building that that sense of the body believers that this is not just a spectator sport, but we are active participants in that iron sharpening iron experience of encouraging one another, exhorting one another, being there for one another, teaching one another, and learning what true discipleship is, and then, of course, passing it along. Folks are new to the San Francisco Bay region or visiting down in Santa Cruz on a weekend. We invite you to check out Regeneration Church. They are at 1500 Green Hills Road, Suite 103 in Scotts Valley, and you can get complete details online by going to theregenerationchurch.com. That's theregenerationchurch.com. You're meeting Sundays at 10 a.m., is that correct, Pastor? That's right, yeah. We invite you to come on down, check the church out, and lots of vibrant, exciting things going on, and you can get complete details again on the web at theregenerationchurch.com. I'd like to thank Senior Pastor Matt Valencia for being with us today. Pastor Valencia, been a delight to uh, visit with you, hear a bit of your story, and most importantly, to learn what God is doing down in Scotts Valley. So again, thank you so much for your time, and keep up the good work. Thanks, Craig. It, it's a blessing and an honor just to be able to partner with you and the rest of the churches in the Bay Area. This morning, as we consider Second Timothy, this letter We are going to see how Paul really is going to focus on keeping the faith. Paul writing to Timothy seems to know that he's not going to make it out this time. Seems to know that this imprisonment is going to be his last one. And in wanting Timothy to be encouraged, I think Timothy is also seeing this. Sometimes we think of Timothy as being timid because of some of the things that Paul writes I don't necessarily know or think that Timothy was timid as much as think about how hard it is to make a stand for Christ right now. In, in, in our culture in America right now, to make a stand for Christ in a workplace or at a school, think about how much pressure is there right now. And we don't have an emperor 
that is tearing us out of our homes as Nero was doing and taking Christians and burning them, literally dipping them in wax and letting them burn and saying, behold the light of the world. This is the environment that Paul is writing to Timothy about. There's a hatred that begins to grow towards the Christians from Nero. In fact, when Rome burned in 64 AD, there are some historians that say not only did Caesar Nero watch from his rooftop as Rome burned, but they believe that he was actually behind the arson because he wanted to be the one known for rebuilding Rome the way he wanted Rome. So there are some historians that say it was Nero that did that, but then what he did was he blamed it on Christians. And we, we know historically that these are the times that Paul is writing in. Shortly after this epistle, Paul would be beheaded because of the persecution under Nero. And if we look at the time frame of Nero's insanity, there are some people that believe it was after Nero spoke with Paul the Apostle that Paul was beheaded and then Nero went insane after that. So there is a lot of weight in this letter. And I just want you to listen with this open heart, remembering the context that in a sense, the word of God is for all of us, but it's also reading someone else's mail. And this is the most personal letter in all of the Bible from Paul. It's one of the reasons why I love Second Timothy is because you get this personal relationship and you hear his heart. This morning in verses one through seven, we are going to look at Paul and Timothy. We're going to see gratitude and joy and friendship, remembering your spiritual heritage, fanning into flame, and then what a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind look like. We'll pick it up in verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Again, Paul, awaiting his execution, begins his letter by saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life. Now he knows his life is coming to an end and he wants to hold on to something. It's the promise of life that God has given to him. In fact, first John 1, 24 and 25 says this, as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the son and in the father And this is what he promised us, eternal life. The reason why Paul can face death and say that he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life, is he knows that this life isn't an end in and of itself. And unless we have an eternal perspective that this life isn't an end in and of itself, then every decision we make feels like it has eternal consequences, every financial setback, every heartbreak. But we have a life that goes on beyond this life. And there are things that when we invest in eternal things, sometimes the temporal things might be heartbreaking as Paul's situation, but he knows that there's a promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. He's also an apostle by the will of God. You know, we could say that, I hope. I hope you could say, Um, I am John, a husband by the will of God, or Susan, a mother by the will of God, or Tony, an engineer by the will of God. And, And I think there are times when we struggle in the situations that we're in. Paul could have easily thought about being in prison and began to doubt, if God really loved me, why would he let me go through this? If God really cared, why am I in prison? There must not be a God, or if there is a God, he's not all powerful or he doesn't care because look at my situation. But Paul focuses on the promise of life and he also accepts the will of God for his life. And sometimes the will of God for our lives, I mean, how many of us want to know the will of God for our lives, right? And yet as we're looking for the will of God, sometimes the will of God is persecutions and trials. It's not always rescue and, and um, victory in the way that the world would see victory. Sometimes God's will includes very difficult things that we go through. And Paul writing to Timothy says, to Timothy, my beloved child or my son, um, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He doesn't jump right into doctrine and theology. Most of Paul's letters begin like this, Um, Romans, Ephesians, Galatians. It it talks about theology, doctrine, beliefs, because those beliefs 
affect our behavior. And we live out what we believe in how we treat others and how we live our lives. But notice that in 2 Timothy, it is so personal that Paul just begins by being very personal with Timothy and a word of endearment, my beloved child or my beloved son. At this point in Paul's life, think about the missionary journeys, establishing many churches, being beaten, stoned almost to death, shipwrecked, imprisoned for his faith. Almost everyone had forsaken him and had left. And Paul writes this last letter to the one who had become so dear to him. He's writing this letter to Timothy. Question, if you were to write a letter, a last letter, who would you write to? And what would be the things that you would include in that letter and in that writing? Every Saturday and every Wednesday when I was growing up, as a pastor, uh, just starting off, um, there would often be a phone call from my mom. And she would say, Matthew, I know you're studying. And this tells you how far back it goes. It used to be on the answering machine. You guys remember those answering machines? The answering machine, we'd come home, we'd see it blinking or how many messages we'd hit play. And it was really funny because she would speak to everyone through the answering machine. Hey, Matthew, Rebecca, you know, Matthew, Josiah, Alicia, Abigail, how are you? And she would just like talk to us and ask questions as though we were all listening at the same time. And um, one of the things that she would say is, I know you're probably preparing for your message. The Lord Jesus be with you. And she would just always pray for me. And I never had a Sunday or if we had a Wednesday evening service, I never had a a service where I didn't know that my mom right now is praying for me. And sometimes when you're struggling and you're going through hard things yourself, there's just this sense of joy when you remember that. Um, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Um, Again, Paul is saying, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did. So Paul is saying, I'm writing to you, but I also have ancestors. Now we don't know about Paul's parents, but one of the things that we do know is that Paul is the same, he, he worshiped the same God as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When you read the Bible, there are often times that the, that the names of God are related to the God of your fathers, the God of your ancestors. There's a faith that is being passed down. And it's not a mistake that you're here this morning. It's not a mistake that you came here or you're listening to this message online because somehow or another, there's a, a trajectory that as the faith is in you, that your faith somehow is going to affect other people. And you may affect other people, not only in years of your life, but far after your life, because Paul's life is speaking to us today off of the pages of scripture. And while your life may not become scripture, you have no idea what your life will do in eternity to affect other people for Christ. And not only while we're alive, but long after that. He served God with a clear conscience. It's one of Paul's themes in the pastoral epistles, this good, clear conscience. Everything that Paul is doing, he's saying, God, I really want to serve you from pure motive, from a pure heart. He's not perfect. None of us are are perfect. But that conscience is clear. Whenever we sin, we could bring those things to the Lord. And there are so many times that I need to be able to pray, God, align my heart with your heart. Because some of the things that I want to be true of me, sometimes they're not true of me. So God, align me with you. Align me with your desires. And then he says, and I constantly remember you to Timothy in my prayers night and day. Again, there's such this feeling of being strengthened when you know someone else is praying for you. And Paul's letting Timothy know that Timothy, in spite of what I'm going through, in spite of uh, being in a dungeon, In spite of awaiting for my execution, I thank God still, and I'm praying for you. In the middle of the difficulties that we're going through, do we only pray for ourselves? Or can we get outside of ourselves and begin to pray for others or continue to pray for others? It's one of the things that helps us to keep our 
our minds on the Lord, uh, sometimes praying for others strengthens us, doesn't it? I, I have a friend that years ago was just going through a horrendous time. And as he shared with me the things that he was going through, um, my, I, I used to either run on, you know, on the roads or run on a, a treadmill uh, before my knees started to hurt every time I run. Um, and when it would get hard, I would pray for my friend. And I told him, I'm going to pray for you. And so my intercession time became my workout time. And when I felt like quitting, it was a reminder for me to think of my friend and the things that he's going through. And I think that we would do well to let people know that we're praying for them, not just pray for them and not just to let people know that we're praying for them and not really praying for them. You know, sometimes people say, I'll pray for you, but it's so easy to forget. Just pray for them right then. When God brings people to mind, just pray for them. But then also sometimes when you pray for them, let them know that you're praying for them because it's a huge encouragement. Paul says, I remember your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. When Paul was arrested, uh, you know, there may have been tears in Timothy's eyes. There may have been tears when they departed from one another. There may have been tears of joy at times. I think that when Paul wrote to Timothy, he's saying, I remember your tears and your tears actually are helping me right now. Now, how can someone else's tears help us? Um, happy tears are, are tears. I try to, when my kids were young, I would talk to them about some tears being sad tears, but then there's also something called happy tears. And there'd be, often be times when with my kids, I would start crying and they, especially when they're younger, would be confused about why I was crying. I said, no, I just want you to know these are, these are happy tears. I could remember some happy tear times and I could remember some sad tear times, but the tears are there because there's a connection. The tears are there because there's love. That's, that's what produces the tears. And Paul is saying, when I remember your tears, it brings me it brings me joy. There are tears of compassion and there's tears of friendship. When I moved to Northern California, when uh, we left Southern California, not knowing where specifically we were going to plant a church, but we, we went up to San Jose and uh, we moved there at Calvary Chapel, San Jose. And um, uh, before I left, I was in my driveway I just remember this day, my, my best friend from high school, Eric Kionpour, he was over at my house. And uh, he said, Matt, I don't know where the Lord has you, uh, but I know that God is directing you. And I said, I love you, Eric. He said, I love you, Matt. We, we hugged and we prayed. And I just think about friendships in the Lord are just incredibly special. They, they last, they have staying power because you can pick up right from where you left off because you have the Lord still it between you. And you're both walking with the Lord. You know, sometimes you could drift from friendships. You haven't seen someone in years. And sometimes it's awkward. So many things had changed and, and they might be different. But man, when you have the Lord, uh, Jesus really keeps hearts knit together. And I think that Paul writing to Timothy is a reminder that even Paul the Apostle, who wrote in Acts or said in Acts 20, 24, none of these things move me. I look at Paul as just a larger than life person where, man, he could get, he can get rocks thrown at him, stoned to death until he is, they think he's dead and then pick back up because God resurrects him, you know, preserves his life. And Paul walks right back into the city. That's what I think of when I think of Paul. But when I read second Timothy, I realize Paul is human and he needs friendship and he says, your tears bring me joy. And man, don't we all need people in our lives like that, that bring us tears of joy? Don't we all need to know someone that loves us and that they know that we love them? Man, we need one another. And in the body of Christ, sometimes churches that are trying to hold on to the truth of God, I, and there are churches that could be doctrinally, theologically uh, correct, but sometimes there's a coldness. There could be. I'm not saying all churches. I'm saying that sometimes there could be a coldness where it's all about the truth of God. But man, you don't feel welcomed. You don't feel loved. You don't feel seen. You don't feel known. And you're afraid to confess anything that you're struggling with because it seems like no one else is struggling. 
The, the truth is everybody is. We all have struggles. And sometimes just letting other people know that we're struggling enables us to be able to share our burdens with one another. And if we all hold it in, then everyone's afraid of sharing what they're going through. Uh, there was a, a man, um, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now, it, uh, Larry Crabb, um, counselor, psychologist, uh, pastor that wrote a book called Connecting. And in the preface of the book, he said, in 30 years of experience as a therapist and clinical psychologist and, and pastor, he said, I'm, I'm committing professional suicide by writing this book. The reason is because I'm telling you that there are some people that really need my services, need a real therapist to help them work through trauma and help them to work through things. But so many of the things that many people go through, they wouldn't need to come to see me if the body of Christ had friendships and openness for them to be able to share and to pray for one another, a lot of those things would be ministered to within the body of Christ. But because in our current Western culture, everyone is so personal and so afraid of sharing, they come to me because they're not willing to share what their burdens with a neighbor or a friend. So Paul writing to Timothy, I'm so thankful for this book in which he just is able to share his heart. He goes on to say in verses, uh, in verse five, this spiritual heritage, he said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. So Paul, not only wanting to have a, a clean conscience or a clear conscience, but he said, I remember your sincere faith. In fact, Timothy, it's a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois. Um, are there any grandparents? Yes. How many grandparents? If you're, if you're a grandparent, I want you to know this. Your influence on your grandchildren is profound. It is, it is strong. You might not feel like it's strong. In fact, you might even think that you are kind of pushed off to the side that you, you're the things you share. They don't really listen. They're not really taking it into heart. But I, I know this. I know this from seeing in my own kids. I know this, that the faith that you have can have such a profound impact on your, not only your children, but your grandchildren. And our culture has a way of kind of pushing off the old and wanting the young. What is new? What is fresh? Uh, fresh voices. We need both. In an intergenerational ministry, you need young and old. You need uh, high school students and UCSC students, and you need grandparents. And they come together in a way that builds this fabric that family is supposed to have. Man, family is getting torn apart today. Family is like there are kids that don't talk to their parents. There are brothers and sisters that don't talk anymore. As families get torn apart, the family is actually, at the time when Paul is writing, there are so many times that the family was to be a reflection in the body of Christ. But sometimes, sometimes one of the things that we see is it's the body of Christ that becomes our family because we're rejected by our biological family. And the body of Christ becomes those brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters that we are encouraged by. It says, this is the, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and then your mother Eunice. So when we read about Timothy's life, it's believed that Timothy's father was not a follower of Christ. Um, Timothy's father may not have known the Lord, but there was the faith that was passed on through his mother. When you think about your parents, some of you were raised with Christian parents. You had parents that reflected the heart of Jesus. Some of you didn't. For my, for my family, you know, my mom, I, I really think she knew the Lord, e even though her understanding of the gospel was formed more later on by starting to read scripture. I really think from a young child, her heart, her faith was in Christ. Um, then she started to grow. But I look at this picture. This is the Valencia family circa, I don't know, maybe 1973. By God's grace, I never want to let them down. My brother, when he became a Christian, was a senior in high school, and his life was a dramatic change. My kids only know him as Uncle Rich at, now. They only know my sisters, Auntie Mary and Auntie Lil now, but, 
But before, I remember growing up, the fights, I, I remember the anger. I remember um, my brother being a real angry guy, him and my sister arguing, all of these things. And then as they started to come to Christ, my brother came to Christ and my sisters called him Jesus freak. I remember that. I just remember, you're such a freak, Rich. <laughs> like that was kind of the, the deal. But they saw a sincere faith that didn't waver. And they saw a love for his siblings that never changed. And my brother led my sisters to Christ, started taking them to church. How many high school students have that kind of faith today to say, I am concerned about the faith of my siblings. I'm concerned about the faith of my parents. I'm concerned about my friends at school. When when my brother, and, my brother and sister started to walk with the Lord, I was, I was like five years old. It was, it was probably a few years after this. And they would take me to church. And I remember um, it wasn't my parents. It was my siblings that took me to church as a little kid. And uh, Calvary Chapel, West Covina had no children's ministry. It was a Kung Fu studio because Raul Reese was a, a Kung Fu master. And when he was a Kung Fu master, he just started having these Bible studies on the floor, the mats that we would sit on. And we would sit cross-legged. I'd just sit there as a little kid. When we first started out, we were just in a circle, a, a giant circle, just a bunch of, I don't think there was a single person there over, over 30, maybe, except Raul. Maybe, maybe Raul was 30. And we would all sit in this circle. And um, I, I, as a five-year-old, six-year-old kid, I, I didn't understand theology. Um, I didn't understand doctrine. You know what I understood? I understood love. And I knew that I was the most loved little kid in that whole church. Because I was probably the only little kid in that whole church. I'd walk, hey, there's Matt. And like uh, these people would like pick me up and like we would like wrestle. You know, the mats were right there. And, and I just, I grew up just sensing the presence of God. And at a real young age, when we would have these times, we called them afterglows. There'd be a time when after the Bible study on a Wednesday night, we would just sit there and pray and we would just worship Jesus together. And as we're singing and we're worshiping, I sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit in a way that I felt so close to God as a child. I just felt like God was there. That's my spiritual heritage. My pastor, Raul Reese, and then later on moving up to San Jose and, and um, being a pastor at Calvary Chapel San Jose with Don McClure. And these were people that fed into me. Uh, yesterday, we had our first recording of our first podcast episode. And... Um, we're going to edit and we're going to work through it and, and eventually we'll make it available when we have a few of them ready. But, but Manny Olivas was there and I've known Manny for, for years, for decades. And we talked about stories of when he first came to Christ and when I first met him and uh, the first mission trip together in Russia in like, I don't know, the year 1999 or 2000 and, and how God's knit our hearts to, together. I don't want to let Manny down. I don't want to let my friends down. I don't want to let the Lord down. And there's something that happens in the spiritual heritage that we pass on. And, and, and brothers and sisters today, I just want you to just sense, God wants you to pass something on. You're not just holding on to it for yourself. There's a good deposit that has been given to you in faith. And God wants you to affect other people because of the life that you receive in Christ. The love that you receive becomes the love that you can give. But if you don't receive that love, you don't have that love to give. You're in deficit. But there's a good deposit into the life of Timothy. So then Paul writes in verse six, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You know, Timothy received that faith probably from his mother and grandmother, but there was something about the laying on of hands. We would call this an ordination. We would call this uh, and sometimes it's formal, sometimes it's informal. What was very, um, it was a blessing and, and it really hit me when uh, Derek and Reeve and I were able to go down to the pastor's conference a couple of weeks ago. And I'm in the sanctuary at, at Calvary Chapel Golden Springs and I'm looking over to the side in this one area and I'm remembering that Wednesday night when we had a prayer meeting spontaneously after a Bible study and about 300 of us stayed for this prayer meeting. Everyone else had to go. And, and I remember staying there. I, I remember Jesse Barella, who just went to be with the Lord earlier this year, that he said, someone is here. I just believe that God has called into ministry. And you're wondering, as God's called you to be a pastor, maybe you feel like that time has passed you by. 
and just know that God is still calling you. And if that is someone, we'll be over here to pray for you. Just like we do at the end of our service. When we say over to my right, over to your left, we're going to be there to pray for you. And the Lord spoke to me. And I thought, man, who is this person that, that may be at this prayer meeting that God is speaking to? And I remember after, towards the end of the prayer meeting, I got up because I was waiting for someone else to do that and no one else did. I'm like, well, it must be me because I, I really sense God's calling. And they prayed over me. They laid hands on me. And I remember that John Fratterola and Jesse Barella and Pete Klaproth, and I remember these guys that laid hands on me and they prayed for me. And then one of them started sharing, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Um, you know, and he started talking about not to call to mind the former things nor ponder the things of the past. I'm going to do a new work. And I remember as they prayed over me, that was, some, that was something that a scripture out of Isaiah that God had already given to me. And being back there at the pastor's conference, I sat in that sanctuary. I looked over to that corner. And I remembered where they laid hands on me. I remembered my calling. I never want to forget that calling. We need to stir up by way of reminder. We need to fan into flame the gift and the calling that God's given to you. Maybe when you first came to Christ, you had this sense, I want to tell people about him. Maybe there was something that God just gave you a desire to do. Maybe to go to the mission field outside of your own country. Maybe it was simply to talk to your family. Maybe it was something about your workplace. And sometimes those giftings and callings, they can... They can be like a fire that we build and the fire starts to go out. If you are a, a backpacker or a camper, you know that a good fire is such a joy at the end of a long hike or the end of a long day setting up camp. And you know that there are times that, that you don't know if that fire is going to go. And you're thinking this fire has to go and you stoke the fire. How do you stoke it? You put twigs on it. You put little branches. You put leaves on it. And then what do you do? You gently blow on it. And when you blow on it, it starts to stoke the fire. It's interesting that the word for the spirit in the Old Testament and the New Testament is the same, same word for wind. And I, I need the Holy Spirit to blow on me, so to speak. Not in a weird way, but in a way to say, Holy Spirit, I just need you to blow afresh in my life. Because I've let that gift and that calling, maybe, maybe the embers are starting to go out. And sometimes in those fires, the embers go out when they're separated from one another, when they're isolated. If you take one stick that is burning and you take it away from the, the central core mass of the other sticks in that fire, it, it goes out pretty quickly. And you stoke the fire by putting it back in with those other fires and then you blow on it. And, and it's a picture for us. It's a picture for, to fan into flame, to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul laid hands on Timothy. It was a part of scripture going all the way back to Abraham and Isaac. The laying on of hands was something practiced throughout the Bible. It's not magical. It's actually a picture, a point of contact of the body of Christ. It's a representation of the touch of God. And Paul exhorts Timothy to stir up that gift. And maybe you don't know what your spiritual gifts and calling are, but, but you want someone to pray for you. We were talking, um, these are some of the, the things that come out in our elders meetings and in our, our staff meetings. We were talking about this prayer area that we have over here to the right, to the left right there. And we were talking at, at one point, like, what if we made it in the back corner so people don't feel as conspicuous or feel like people are watching them to come and ask for prayer? And then Derek said, why don't we just make it known that that's something that we do? It, it's something as a culture that it should be normal to ask for prayer. I, I remember one, uh, one elder at the church in Gilroy said, Matt, one of the things I love, I just love about this church is we don't just talk about prayer. We don't just teach about prayer. We actually pray. We pray for one another. Man, I need your prayers. I, I'm so grateful that we have prayer warriors in this church. I am so thankful for you that intercede and continue to pray because I'll tell you that, that we all need it. And you could sense when God is working answering those prayers. So the laying on of hands is something where James writes about that. Sometimes when people are sick, come and be prayed for. Let the elders of the church anoint them with oil, praying over them. Then he says this, as you exercise that gift, sometimes there's a fear that could come in. 
Paul writes this, for God has not given us a spirit of fear or in the New Living Translation or timidity, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. How does Satan attempt to quench the exercising of those gifts that God has given to us? By fear, the gift of the spirit, the gifts that he's given to you to use in the body of Christ. Fear will keep you from doing that because you're so afraid that you won't be accepted. You're going to fail. There's a, a fear that keeps us from exercising faith. It wants, uh, Satan wants to hijack what God has put into us. The world kind of beats us down with fear. There's fear of expectations. Sometimes we don't step up to do something that God's called us to do because we're afraid. Now there's expectation. And so I don't want to be known that I'm going to do something. I'm not going to commit to it. If I don't commit to it, I don't have to do it. And no one's going to know. But then when we commit to it, then people are going to say, hey, well, you committed to that and they're going to expect it. Fear could keep us from doing that. You know what fear could keep us? Uh, Fear of the future can keep us from going forward. So afraid of what's going to happen in our future um, that I I can't make a decision for today. So afraid of others, what other people are going to think about us. Man, I, I really pray that when we desire to be a blessing to others, we're not handicapped by a fear of what other people are going to think. Um, our, our crazy cancel culture, this social media culture, where it, it's death by comparison. It, it steals our joy. We just look at other people and, and we don't want a, other people to know about our lives because our lives don't look as good as other people's lives or, or things aren't as happy or as, as fruitful or whatever. Fear could just keep us just away from the things of God. We could have a fear of not being enough. I would do it, but I'm not enough. I would do it, but I, I don't have what it takes. Fear of failure, fear of not being loved. The fear of not being loved keeps us from loving others. Sometimes people that love us, because we're so afraid of getting hurt, we're afraid of them not really loving us, that in our heads we have a conversation with them that we never have in reality. The conversation goes like this. I know that you see all these faults in me and that eventually you're going to get tired of me. And I know that you really don't like me as much as I like you. So I'm not even going to try. In fact, I don't even like you. (laughs) We just go through those things in our heads. In fact, I, I don't like you because there's such a risk of me opening up to love you that if I just guard my heart, Uh, Like that Simon and Garfunkel song, I am a rock, I am an island, and a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. That's me. I don't need people. I have my books. (laughs) Isn't that a bleak song? I love it. It's a great song. I just, I love that song, but it is bleak. Um, We have a fear of not finding purpose. Like, why do I exist? Why am I even here? And I don't want to look... Um, to the Lord. I don't want to look to God for that purpose because what if I find out that there isn't a God? Or what if I find out that God wants me to change something about my life? So I'm not going to even look. I'm not even going to go forward. The spirit of fear of not being loved is what keeps us from receiving love often. It, re- it keeps us from really trusting Jesus because Jesus is going to let me down. Paul's saying, we, you have not received a spirit of fear. That's not your disposition. That's not what you received. That's not what you saw in your grandmother and in your mother and in me. And it's not what you're seeing now. And Paul writing from prison is fanning into flame into Timothy's life to say this. He has not given us a spirit of fear. A spirit of fear is a spirit and mindset that focuses more on personal weaknesses, on worst case scenarios, on situations rather than on the character of God. That's a spirit of fear. And, and there are times when we could all go through that. But Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but God has given you a spirit of power. The word power has a negative connotation so often in our world today because we have this quote that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So power being bad. But I'll tell you what, power in the hands of someone that is, their hearts are touched by God. Power for good is what gives us the ability to rescue people from injustice. That's power. We want to use that power. Power of words give people life. Power of love 
helps people to transform. We have power. God has given us a spirit of power. And in that spirit of power, don't think of power as having a ton of money, having a million followers in social media and being what they would call today an influencer. Oh, they have power. I really don't have power because I don't have that many followers. I don't have that many, that big following popularity. That's not the spirit of power. The spirit of power is the spirit of God working in us to create and to do something that the world can't do. It's why I I can't wait when the podcast is out there. uh, The story that Manny told yesterday It was just, it was so incredible about looking to the world and looking for other things for power and all of those things falling short. But then when God fills us with his power, we're able to face things that are difficult and we don't have to do it by way of force. So if Paul only wrote that God has given us a spirit of power, then we start thinking we have to dominate people. We have to use our power to dominate others into submission Instead, Paul says he's given us a spirit of power, but also of love. He's given us a spirit of love. Power without love, it looks a lot like a dictatorship. Power without love looks like abuse. But then you have this love. And a love without power is pretty hopeless. Because you have this love, but you have no power to do something, no power to affect change, no power to, to you have both. We have, we have a spirit of power, but we also have this spirit of love. And the love that Paul is writing about is this agape love. It, I was thinking, um, I, I just saw a little clip on YouTube recently of, um, I can't remember the woman's name, um, a pro-life woman on Dr. Phil. And... Um, Dr. Phil and this other woman in the audience were kind of like attacking this woman and she was just very calm, just sharing like how she believes that preservation of life in all of its stages is value. All life is valuable from womb to the tomb at, at every age. And the most vulnerable people are those that need protection. And so this one woman is yelling at her And I realize that not everyone here or listening might be a Christian. So I just want you to listen through and to ask questions and to lean into this. But there's this woman that was, um, she was just kind of attacking this woman on on stage. As she was doing that, um, the woman was just very calm. And the woman that was in the audience was just yelling. And I was thinking, God has called us to have a love for our enemies and there's no other group that has a love for their enemies the way that Christians are to love their, our enemies. It's actually what set Christianity apart in that early church when Jesus came and he started preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. The values of the Christian are not just here are our beliefs versus your beliefs, but here are our beliefs. And because of our beliefs, we love you. Even if you don't love us, even if you're against us. Love involves risk. And when you throw yourself out there, it is hard. It's hard to love people that don't love you back. You're vulnerable. You could be hurt. And Paul is writing to Timothy from prison. And I think that part of this ethic, this value that Paul wants Timothy to have is, Timothy, don't let them make you bitter. You're pastoring a hard place in Ephesus. Persecution is coming. I'm in prison. Don't ever lose the spirit of love that God's given to you. You got to stir that up. And then the last thing is sound mind. He's given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. It's a great memory verse, 2 Timothy 1 7. It might say in your version, different versions, say um, a spirit of power, love, and of self control. Or it, it could say of, um, you know, a sound mind is, is um, these senses of being sober minded, in control. And yet, think about this word, sound mind. It's healthy, healthy thinking, healthy brain, healthy thoughts. We use a phrase today called mental health, right? That's a word that we, phrase that, I didn't grow up hearing about mental health. I don't know if you get, I, I never heard mental health. Now I hear, and we're learning. We're learning about how, how our brains work and how our emotions work. But you know what? It's all tied together. It, spirit, body, soul, it's, it's all tied together. 
And when Paul is writing about this sound mind, the only way to be, to have that self-control and to be grounded in our thinking and to have a healthy mindset is really the gospel. It speaks to us of that. You know, apart from the gospel, as our world is more divided and things get kind of crazy in our world, what brings peace? I mean, what, what brings peace unless I could say, I've released these things to the Lord and yet I'm not giving up because that's not sound mind to give up. I'm not giving up. It's, it's what we looked at in the book of Daniel, the humble resolve. We have to have this humility and this humble resolve to keep going forward, to hold on to God's truth. And what keeps us that way is the spirit of God. And so this morning, if, if you're struggling in, man, I, every day that I wake up right now, I, I feel anxiety. I, I haven't gone through this in the past. This is a new thing for me every day. Every day I have this uh, a feeling of dread at times. Sometimes it's this sadness because of people that I love and people that I know that are far from God and far from me. It's hard. It's very difficult. And then I look at the world we live in. Sometimes I see Christians behaving badly. And then I, I, I listen or read the news and then I just see the world just kind of falling apart. I get angry and all of these things start to fester. I can't start my day like that. You know where I have to start my day? I have to start my day with quieting my heart to say, Jesus, I need you today. I need your spirit today. Jesus, today, would you fill me with that spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind? Because I need that. And when you fill me with that, I can now give that to others. I can now help other people with the help I've received. But if I don't do that, and the first thing is thinking about problems or people that are struggling or thinking about the news or thinking about our world, it just starts off the day rushed and in anxiety. And, and my go-to, my go-to at times is not sadness because I don't like being sad. And it's underlying what, what happens. My go-to is anger. I get really mad. And, and if I'm mad like that, I can't be gentle. I can't have that spirit of love. Jesus wants to have that, have that spirit of love. And so this morning when Paul writes to Timothy, the words of the pages of scripture are lifted off as we read someone else's mail that God intended for us to read and to say in the same way that Paul had that kind of peace that kind of spirit. In the same way that he was writing to Timothy in a difficult place, God is speaking to you today. It's no accident that you're here. Fan into flame. Stir up the things that God has put into your heart. Don't let them lay fallow. Don't let them go out. Don't let the world just push you down so that you're afraid. And we need courage. Courage, dear heart, right? Courage. Amen. Pastor Matt Valencia, Senior Pastor of Regeneration Church, located just slightly north of Santa Cruz in Scotts Valley. They are at 1500 Green Hills Road, Suite 103 in Scotts Valley, and you can get complete details online by going to theregenerationchurch.com. That's theregenerationchurch.com. We invite you to come on down, check the church out, and you can get complete details again on the web at theregenerationchurch.com. This has been the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. To nominate your congregation for Church of the Week, please email us the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to your church's website to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. Again, that's the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to the website and email to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. While all submissions will be considered, not every submission is guaranteed airtime. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again next week at this time for the Church of the Week. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.